We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the fourth and final piece in Hilchus Mechira. This is Parak Chav Gimel, Halacha Gimel. And in this piece, Rab Chaim tries to explain the difference between two different fines in Halacha. One is that if someone's animal kills someone else's slave, so the Torah says that they have to pay a fine of 30 shekel. Now, if someone steals someone else's animal, so they have to pay that person back double, which is called kethel. So the halacha in the Rambam deals with an obscure case where the owner of the Eved had sold the fine for that Eved to someone else, and then the Eved was killed by an animal. So the question is, who gets that fine? And Rab Chaim is going to try to explain the difference between these two different fines, the kenas of the Eved, the 30 shekel of the Eved, versus the kethel of the thief. The Rambam writes Machar Avdol Knas if someone sells his slave only for the fine. So A sells to B only the fine of his slave, which means If an animal gores and kills the Eved, the fine is going to belong to the buyer, to Mr. B. So the Rambam rules that this is a suffix. It's uncertain what the halacha is in this case, whether that sale works or not. Therefore, the buyer does not get the fine. So the person whose animal killed the slave gives the fine to the original owner, to Mr. A, and not to Mr. B, because since it's a suffix, so that's the halacha whenever we're uncertain what to do in financial matters, that the original owner retains the right. But if Mr. B grabs the knas, so then the court will not take it away from him. And again, that's the halacha in a case of a suffake that since we don't know what to do, if the other person who potentially gets the money grabs it, so then he's able to keep it, we don't take it away from him. Now, this whole issue, the case where someone sells the fine of their slave, so that's a question in the Gemara in Gitin Daf Membez, and the Gemara does not resolve it. So that's why the Rambam says, that it's a suffix, it's unclear what the halacha is in this case. So that's why the fine goes to the original owners unless the buyer grabs it, in which case he can keep it. Now, Rab Chaim asks from another ruling of the Rambam later in Hilchusheilo Pikadon Parakhes Halacha Hey. The case there is that the owner gave the object to a shomer, a watchman who was guarding it, and then the object was stolen. So now the thief has to return the value of the object times two. So there's a fine that he has to pay double, which is called kefel. So if the shomer paid the owner the value of the object, then he gets the kefel. Otherwise, the owner gets the kefel. So the Rambam rules, if the watchman agreed to pay and then he changed his mind and said he wasn't going to pay, and then the Rambam lists a bunch of other cases where it's unclear who should get the kefel, the shomer or the owner. So the Rambam rules, kol elu safek, all these cases are uncertain in halacha who the kefel belongs to. So there's uncertainty who should get the kefel. Neither one of them has the money in their possession. So they split it. So the owner and the shomer each get half of this fine, which is another way of ruling in a case of suffake that we split it. So Rab Chaim asks, what is the difference between these two halachas that the Rambam rules differently? They seem on the surface to be the same. In both cases, there is an owner and then someone else who potentially has rights to the fine. 
So either the buyer who bought the fine of the slave or the shomer who potentially compensated the owners and gets the kefel. But in the case of the shomer, the Rambam rules yachloku that they divide it as opposed to the case of the eved where the Rambam says that the owner keeps it unless the lokeach, the buyer, grabs it. So why is there a difference? Why is the Rambam saying in one of them that the owner gets to keep the fine and in the other one they immediately split it, the owner does not get to keep it? So to answer this, Rab Chaim tries, as usual, to get to the basis of this halacha. And he wants to understand, if we take the view that an owner could sell the Eved for the kenas or the animal for the kefel, if we do assume that that would work, so what exactly does that mean? So there's two ways to formulate it. Either the buyer is like a partial owner of this animal and the Eved, so they own the kenas rights of the animal and the Eved. So now if someone steals the animal or an animal kills the Eved, the fine goes directly to the buyer who is a partial owner of this animal or Eved. So it's not that it comes through the original owner and then goes to the buyer, it goes directly to the buyer because this animal or Eved is like divided. It's mostly owned by the original owner, but the fine component of it is owned by the buyer. That's the first way to formulate this. The other way that this could work is that the buyer doesn't actually own any part of the animal or the evid. They only own the rights to the fine that's going to come. So the way it would work is that the original owner who fully owns the animal or the evid gets the fine, but then the buyer bought the rights to the fine, so he has to hand it over to him. So that's the second way to formulate this. So basically, Rab Chaim wants to understand whether buying the rights to the knas is actual ownership in the object, or the ownership doesn't change, but now the buyer gets the rights to get the knas. So Rab Chaim says very brilliantly that this is the difference between kefel of an animal versus the knas of an evid. When it comes to kefel, so the thief is obligated to compensate for having stolen this object. It's part of the overall requirements for paying back what he stole. As Rab Chaim writes, the Chiyuva de Kefel, Kivan the Chol din Gneva, the Chiyuv Kfela, Harehu Machmas din Balim, Vizchus Mamon Shalahem Baha Chefetz. The obligation of Kefel comes from the fact that someone took someone else's property. And the Kefel is part of the package of compensating for the theft. So that could be sold. The owners could say to a new party, you now own this object in terms of the kefel. So if a thief takes the object, we own the object in terms of everything else. But in that case, you are the owner. So when the thief pays the kefel, it belongs to you. So when it comes to kefel, the thief is paying the buyer directly because he is the owner in terms of the kefel obligation. As opposed to the knas for killing a slave, which is not compensation for damages, it's kapara, it's for atonement because this person's animal killed a slave. So they need to atone for that loss of life by paying the knas, similar to the kofar of a free person. So when a person's animal kills a free person, they also need to atone. And the Rambam himself in chapter 11 of Nizkei Mamon makes this parallel between kofar 
kofer and the knas of a slave. The Rambam writes, Kamahu kofer. What is the kofer? And then he says, V'kofer ha'avadim hu knas shloshim sela. The fine when someone's animal kills a slave is the 30 sela that's written in the Torah. So the Rambam himself compares these two concepts, the kofer and the knas of a slave together. And as Rab Chaim says, V'ikar achiyuv bal ha'rigas ha'evet atzmo. The payment of the knas is because the Eved was killed. Not because the owners had a financial ownership of the Eved. So the person is not compensating the owners for the loss of their Eved. He's paying a fine because his animal killed an Eved. The ownership that the owner has in the slave, so the financial stake that he has, does not add anything to the obligation of the 30 shekel fine. So the fine, unlike Kefel, is not compensation for the owner. It's because this person's animal killed someone, and for killing anyone, the owner of the animal has to pay. If it's a free person, then they pay the kofar, and if it's a slave, then the Torah gives a set amount for the fine. But the basis of that fine is in order to atone for the animal killing the slave. Now, there happens to be an additional rule to the fine that it goes to the owner. So there needs to be someone that the knas is paid to and the person that the Torah selected is the person who owned the slave because that makes sense. But the owner of the Eved getting the knas money doesn't follow because he owned the Eved. That's another detail in this halacha that first of all, the owner of the animal has to pay the knas money because his animal killed someone. And second, that money goes to the owner of the slave because that just makes sense. But what that means is that the owner of the Eved cannot sell the rights to the knas to anybody else because collecting the knas does not follow from ownership. So there's no way to sell it. Whoever owns the Eved is going to get the knas money and there is no way to sell the knas. And Rab Chaim adds that this also makes sense on another level because since, as he said, the knas of the Eved is atonement for the owner of the animal, so it makes sense that the atonement is connected with the life of the Eved. So the person who actually owns the Eved and has the rights to that Eved's status and that Eved's financial gains. So that person seems like the right person to collect the knas as well. It doesn't make sense that someone who only owns the knas should be able to collect it because they don't actually have any stake in the Eved itself. So why should the atonement go to them? So for all these reasons, when it comes to the knas, the owners cannot sell it to someone else. They always collect it. Now, if they do sell the knas to someone else, so the way that works is that when the animal kills the Eved, the animal's owner pays the owner of the Eved and then the Eved's owner passes that money along to the buyer because they bought the rights to that Kanas. So the Kanas money does end up with the buyer but it goes through the intermediary of the Eved's owner. So now, given this distinction between Kofar, where the thief pays the Kofar directly to the buyer, they cut out the original owner, as opposed to the Knas of the Eved, where the Knas goes to the original owner and then he gives it over to the buyer. So this explains the distinction between the two rulings of the Rambam in these two different cases. When it comes to the Knas of the Eved, so the Rambam rules that when there's a suffix, it goes to the original owners, because even if the sale would go through, the money would still go to the original owners and then they would give
give it to the buyers. So when there is a suffix and we're unsure where the money should go, so the first owners have more of a right to it and they get to keep the money unless the buyer grabs it. So that's why the Rambam rules in that case of suffix that the owners keep the money. As opposed to when it comes to Kefel, where if the sale went through, so then the first owners are totally cut out and the Kefel money would go directly to the buyer. So there the Rambam rules that if there is a suffix, the money gets split because the owners have no more right to the money than the buyer. So now that there's a suffix, they both have an equal stake or an equal right to it. So we split up the money. So this distinction between between how the mechanism of selling the kofar versus selling the knas of the evid works, that explains the distinction that the Rambam makes in these two cases when there's a suffix who the money belongs to. But now Rab Chaim asks that this conceptual idea that when a person buys the knas of the evid, it still goes through the owners. They can't buy the rights to that directly. So that seems to be contradicted by the Gemara in Gitin, which raises this whole issue. The Gemara asks, whether a person can sell their Eved's kenas, and then it connects it with the issue of whether a person could be maknet davar shalobala olam, could sell something which is not in the world. So for example, could a person sell produce which their tree is going to produce next year before it's been produced? So that is a debate between Reb Meir and the Rabbanan. Now there are different levels within which this question could come up. So a person could sell the fruit of their apple tree, even though the apples have come out yet, or a person could sell their apple tree for the produce, which is called Dekel Leperosov. The person is selling the tree, which is already in existence in the world, but they're not selling the whole tree. They're selling the rights to the apples that are going to be produced. So that's already a much lower level and easier to sell because it's based on an object which is in the world. So the way the Gemara formulates this is that it says that this question, whether a person could sell the Eved Kenas, applies both to Rabbi Meir and the Rabbanan who hold Ein Adam Makne Davar Olam. So according to the Rabbanan, you cannot sell something which has not come to the world. So how could a person sell the Eved's Kenas? So the Gemara explains, maybe the Rabbanan only hold you can't sell Peros Dekel, the fruit of the tree because the fruit hasn't grown yet. But in this case, the animal is already in the world and the slave is already in the world. So both necessary objects to create the kanas are already present in the world. So that's like dekel leperosav, when a person sells the tree for the rights of the fruits which are going to grow on it. So maybe according to the Rabbanan, that does work. So if so, a person could sell their eved's kanas because the eved and the animal which is going to gore him are already present in the world. That's the way the Gemara formulates this issue. Now, says Rab Chaim, according to his conceptual understanding that the kenas of the Eved is unrelated to who owns the Eved, it's a new obligation that emerges only once the animal kills the Eved. So now the animal's owner has an obligation to atone for that loss of life. So then this Gemara does not make sense because why is the Gemara saying that this is Dekel Perosav? All the necessary ingredients are already in the world to create the obligation of the kenas. But there's one major missing component, which is that the animal has not killed the Eved. And until that happens, there's absolutely no obligation. 
So this seems to contradict Rab Chaim's conceptual understanding. The Gemara seems to be implying that the obligation of the Evitz Kenas comes about because of the ownership. So since this person owns the Eved and an animal killed their Eved, so now the animal's owner has to pay the Kenas to compensate them. So that makes sense that the Gemara is saying that the ownership of the Eved and the animal that attacks him are already in the world. So all the necessary ingredients for this Kenas are already present. But if the whole kenas is unrelated to the ownership of the slave, it comes about only because the animal killed the slave. So then the existence of this kenas is not present in the world at all. So the fact that the Gemara says it is present in the world contradicts Rab Chaim's idea and the Gemara seems to be saying that the kenas of the slave is compensation for the owner's loss. So if that's the case, now we're back to the question on the Rambam because it's the same as Kofar. When the owner sells the knas of the Eved, if the sale goes through, so now the buyer fully owns that. And if someone has to pay the knas of the Eved, it should go directly to the buyer. So again, there should be no difference in the case of a suffix between Kofar and the knas of an Eved. So Rab Chaim answers that his original distinction and formulation was correct. The knas of an Eved is a payment of atonement because this person's animal took a life. But in addition to that, it's also compensation for the loss of the monetary value of the Eved. So it's both. It's not only atonement, but it's also compensation for the loss of the financial value of the Eved. And the proof for that is the Gemara in Babakama Mem Gimel, that where there's no Kanas, so then the animal's owner actually has to pay the value of the Eved to the Eved's owner. So we see that the Kanas gets him out of having to compensate the actual value because the Torah sets the Kanas at 30 shekel. So even if the Eved is actually worth 100 shekel, since the animal's owner has to pay the knas of 30 shekel, he doesn't have to worry about how much the Eved was actually worth. But in a case where there is no knas, so then in fact he does have to pay the value of the Eved. So we see that the knas not only covers the atonement, but also compensation for the loss of the property. And Rab Chaim has another proof to this from the Gemara in Gitin Membez Bez. The Gemara wonders in the case of a Mu'ukav get shichur. So a slave who's basically been freed, except that he did not get his document of freedom. So for practical purposes, he's free, but he's missing that final step, which is going to formalize it by giving him that document. So what happens if an animal kills that slave before he gets the document? Do we say that he's still a slave, so there is a kanas, or because since he's basically free, he does not get the kanas, and the person has to pay the kofar, the value of the person, like a free person who was killed. So the Gemara brings a proof from a Brisa which says, Let's say a master is particularly rough, and he knocks out his slave's tooth, and then he blinds him in one eye. Now, the halacha is that for blinding the slave or knocking out a tooth, the slave goes free. So in this case, the Brisa says that once he knocked out his tooth, the slave goes free, and then the master has to pay him for the damages to his eye. So we see that even though the slave did not get the document yet, he's been effectively freed because the master knocked out a tooth, but he has not gotten the document yet. Still, the master has to pay him for any damages to his body. So says the Gemara, now that we see that even before the document of freedom, the master 
master has to pay the slave for damages. So how could it be that someone else has to pay the master the knas? If you say that in this case there is a knas and the master gets the knas, so it's backwards. If other people kill the slave, then they have to pay the master, the owner, the knas. But if the owner damages the slave, so then he has to pay the slave. That doesn't make any sense. Why should the owner get the knas money? So that's the Gemara's proof that there should not be a knas any longer in this case where the slave is basically free. He just didn't get his get shichr. Says Rab Chaim, this Gemara is clearly drawing a parallel between damages to the Eved's body and killing him and giving the knas. So the damages and the knas, according to the Gemara, follow along parallel lines. Now damages to an Eved is clearly compensation. That's not atonement. It's because the person damaged the Eved, so they have to compensate. So the Gemara is comparing that to the Knas, which again implies that within the Knas is also compensation. So the Knas cannot only be atonement, it also has an element of compensation, which is why the Gemara says that once the slave is free, it doesn't make sense to pay the master the Knas, even if he doesn't have the Shtar Shichrur yet. So those are the two proofs from the Gemara in Babakama and Gi'in to this idea that the Knas of the Eved is also a form of compensation for the owner's loss of property. Now, in that regard, certainly the owner's ownership of the Eved is integral to the Knas. So even though when it comes to the atonement component, it's disconnected to the owner's financial ownership of the Eved. But when it comes to this component of compensation, so that's certainly connected to the fact that this owner financially owns the Eved. So now that component of the Knas could be sold to a buyer because it's like any financial stake that a person could sell to someone else. So in terms of the compensation element of the knas, that is able to be sold, even though the atonement part is not, as Rab Chaim explained earlier. And now Rab Chaim adds a very key point, which is that the person who gets the knas is determined by who owns the eved. So even though there are two components to the knas, one is atonement, which should go to the actual owner and then there's compensation which goes to whoever has the right to that compensation but at the end of the day the knas is going to be given to the person who has the financial right to it over the owner. So the atonement aspect plays second fiddle to the compensation aspect in terms of determining which person is the recipient of the knas. So now based on this says Rab Chaim we could explain the Gemara in Gitin because if there is a split so someone sells the knas of the Eved. So the original owner retains the atonement aspect, but the buyer has the compensation rights. But the buyer is the one who's going to get the knas, not the owner, because the knas goes to the person who has the financial rights to the Eved for the knas. So that's exactly what the Gemara means, that this is a case of Dekel Leperosov, where all the ingredients for this financial obligation are already present in the world. So it's like buying a tree for the fruit that's going to grow on it. So the same is true in the case of the knas. The evid and the animal are already in the world and the buyer is buying the financial rights to the compensation of the knas. So if the animal kills the evid, that knas now belongs to the buyer. So that explains why the Gemara says that. 
But what Rab Chaim's gained through this whole interpretation is that the Gemara is not denying that there is a second component to the Knas, which is atonement. That is true, and that component is still connected to the actual owner of the Evid. It cannot be sold. But even so, the Gemara is saying that the buyer has the right to this kenas as if they purchased a stake in the Eved himself because there's an element of compensation which the buyer does own and that's the key in determining who the recipient of the kenas is going to be. So this is a way to explain the Gemara and still allow room for the other component that Rab Chaim's developing in this piece that the kenas of an Eved is an atonement that's unrelated to ownership of the Eved. It's atonement because a life was taken. And Rab Chaim asked that there is strong evidence for this interpretation of the Gemara from the other side of the question. The Gemara says that whether a person can sell the Knas of an Eved is also a question according to Rabbi Meir, who holds that a person could sell a Dover Shalobala Olam. So why would he hold that they cannot sell the Knas of the Eved? So the Gemara says maybe you can only sell Peros Dekel Davidi Da Asu fruit of a tree which automatically comes every year. So it's a very normal, regular thing for fruit to grow on a tree. So that can be sold even though it's not in the world yet because there's an expectation that it's going to come. But in the case of the Eved, it's unusual. Who says that there's ever going to be a Kanas in this Eved? So it's not something expected for an animal to kill the Eved, so maybe it cannot be sold. Says Rab Chaim, this line in the Gemara seems like clear proof to the other aspect that he developed, that the kanas of an Eved is atonement for the life that was taken. Because if the whole concept of a kanas for an Eved is only compensation, there's only that one component, so who cares whether it's something that's expected or common or not? It's irrelevant. If someone buys a product and they own it, so it's irrelevant whether that object normally creates something or not. Either way, they own whatever it produces. So the same is true true if the buyer actually owns the rights to the compensation of the Eved, who cares if this is an unexpected situation or not? It should be irrelevant. So the fact that the Gemara weighs that as part of the consideration indicates that the compensation, the financial stake that the buyer buys is not the only element, the only factor in the Knas. There's another factor of the atonement and that cannot be sold. That retains with the first owners. So that's why the Gemara says that since this is an unexpected gain, it's not common for animals to kill the Eved, so maybe it cannot be sold to a buyer. But all this only makes sense if the buyer does not fully own the rights to the compensation because some of it was held back with the first owner. If the buyer fully owns the Knas rights, so then it shouldn't matter at all whether this is expected or regular or not. So according to Rab Chaim, the fact that the Gemara has two lines which seem to indicate opposite ideas. One says that the knas is a compensation which could be sold. It's like selling a tree for the rights of the fruits. And the other line says that a knas cannot fully be sold because since it's unexpected, so maybe the buyer is not able to
able to purchase it. So this indicates the balance that Rab Chaim's developing, that there are two components to the knas. One is atonement, and that's unrelated to who owns the Evet. It comes about because of the loss of life. And the second is compensation to whoever owns the Evet, or at least bought the rights to that compensation. Now, in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim brings a proof to his interpretation of the Rambam from the Gemara in Bamitziya Lamedal Ramad Aleph at the beginning of the third chapter. The Gemara there asks on this halacha that if the Shomer, the watchman, compensates the owners for the object that was stolen, so then he gets the kefel. So the Gemara asks, how could that be? You cannot buy something which has not come to the world, and the fine of kefel is not in the world yet. So the Gemara answers, Nasa It's as if the owner says to the watchman, if the animal is stolen and you choose to pay me back, so you acquire the animal from right now. So he's not selling him the fine. He's selling him the animal in order to be able to collect the fine and the animal is present in the world. So that's how it works. He's able to sell him it in that way. So now Tosvos asks, even though that solves the problem of Dover Shalobala Olam, because he's not selling the fine, he's selling the animal for the fine. But how does he do the sale? There needs to be a Kenyan, a physical action in order to transfer the ownership of the animal. And this animal is already missing. So the only thing that happened is that the Shomer gave the owner money, but money alone is not able to affect a transfer of ownership. There has to be a Kenyan. And here there's no way to do the Kenyan. So how is he able to sell the animal to the Shomer when the animal is not here and there's no Kenyan? So Tosvos answers that when the Shomer pulled the animal to take it to watch it, that's the Kenyan in hindsight. Once we realize that this sale is going to be backtracked because then the animal was stolen, then the Shomer paid the owners. So the Shomer ends up acquiring the animal to get the rights of Kefel. So that acquisition happened back when he pulled the animal into his property in order to watch it. So that was the Kenyan in hindsight. So now according to this, the way to read the back and forth in the Gemara is that the question question of the Gemara when it compares this case to Adavar Shalobala Olam is exactly the same step as the Gemara in Gitin, which asks whether someone could sell the Knas of the Eved without selling the whole Eved, just the Knas of the Eved. So the Gemara in Bamitzia raises the parallel issue, could someone sell the Kefel of the animal without selling the animal itself? So then the Gemara answers that this case in Bamitzia is actually better than the case in Gitin because here it's as if he sold the actual animal to the Shomer because since there was a Kenyan originally and now the Shomer paid him the money so it's like a full sale of the actual animal and that's why the Shomer gets the Kefel. So it's not that the Shomer only bought the Kefel, the Shomer actually bought the entire animal and therefore he gets the Kefel. So Tosos differentiates between the case of selling the Knas of the Eved where the person is not selling the entire Eved, they're only selling the right to collect the Knas, as opposed to selling the Kefel of the animal, where the person is actually selling the entire animal, it's backtracking to when the Shomer originally pulled the animal, but now the buyer acquires the whole animal, and that's how they get the Kefel. And the Magid Mishnah at 
the beginning of chapter 8 of Hilchashelo Pikadon also reflects this view because he says that once the animal is stolen, so any increase in value of the animal belongs to the buyer. So according to the Magid Mishnah, it's not that the buyer is only acquiring the rights to the kefel, they're acquiring the entire animal. So as soon as the animal is stolen, they now fully own the animal, including any value increase in the animal. And obviously that includes the kefel as well. The only exception to this sale is that any increase in value of the animal from before it was stolen. So after the Shomer pulled the animal until the point it was stolen, all that increased value belongs to the original owner. They do not sell that because they're excluding that from the sale. So again, the view of Tosos and the Magid Mishnah is that in the case of selling the animal for Kefel, the person is selling the entire animal. Now, Rab Chaim points out that the Rambam does not follow this view because the Rambam there at the beginning of the eighth chapter of Shelo Pikadon, so he rules that if the animal itself is recovered from the thief, so then the entire animal, including any increased value like the shearings or any children that it had, all of that goes back to the original owners. So unlike the Magid Mishnah's view, the Rambam holds that any increase in value of the animal itself, even after the time that the Shomer paid the owners, still belongs to the owners. So we see that according to the Rambam, the owners do not fully sell the animal in this case. They are only selling it for the kefel. So the way to read the Gemara then is that in the question, the Gemara believed that the person is only selling the kefel itself. They're not selling the animal at all, which is how the Ritva explains it. So that's why the Gemara asks that this is certainly a davar shalobala olam. How could you sell kefel, which has not come to the world? So the answer is that the person is selling the animal's rights for the kefel. So they're not selling the kefel in a vacuum. They're selling the rights for this animal to collect the kefel. So it's the equivalent of the case in Gitin of selling the rights in this Eved to collect the kenas. So according to the Rambam in the Gemara's answer in Bab Metziah, it is saying that the case of selling the kefel of the animal is equivalent to selling the kenas of the Eved. In both of them, the person does not sell the kenas in a vacuum. They sell the rights in this Eved and this animal to collect the fine. So the Rambam reads this Gemara differently than Tosfos. According to Tosfos, that was the question, but then the Gemara answered that the person is fully selling the animal, and that's why the Shomer collects the kefel. According to the Rambam, in the question, the Gemara was assuming that the person is selling the kefel in a vacuum, and then the answer is that this is the equivalent of selling the rights in this animal for the kefel. So the Rambam and Tosfos have a different view of this case. Now, according to Tosfos, it fits in nicely because the Gemara in Bamitzia is asking that this case is equivalent to the case of selling the Eved for a Kanas. And then the Gemara answers, no, this is a better case. But according to the Rambam, why does the Gemara in Bamitzia assume that certainly one can sell the animal's rights to Kefel when that's a question in the Gemara in Gitin? So the Gemara in Gitin was unable to resolve this issue as to whether someone can sell an Eved only for the Kanas. So 
So why does the Gemara and Bab Metziah assume that it can certainly work in the case of selling the animal's rights for kefel? So Rab Chaim suggests that maybe in the case where the person sells the kefel, they're not just selling kefel, they're selling the rights of this animal to any value that increases in the animal. So it's like selling a whole basket of rights, anything that this animal might increase in value, and one of those is the kefel, so that's why it works. As opposed to the case of the Eved, where they're only selling the right to collect the kenas. So maybe that's the difference. But Rab Chaim doesn't like that because he says if the owner is not selling the actual animal itself, he's only selling the increase in value that might come about through this animal. So then each of those increases should be judged on their own. There's no reason to lump them all together. If the person is acquiring the entire animal, so then all the increases in value, whether it's giving birth, whether it's the shearings, whether it's the kefel, all of them can be lumped together into this transfer of ownership. But if the person is only selling the increase in values, not the animal itself, so there's nothing to connect them all together. So the kefel has no relationship to the other increases in value, let's say giving birth or the shearings. So there's no reason to include the kefel in the lump sum that's being sold. Each one of them should be judged on its own merit. So this answer is not going to work. If we don't know if the person can sell the kenas of the eved, so then why is it obvious that they can sell the kefel of the animal? Says Rab Chaim, according to his distinction between Knas and Kefel, so that answers this question. When it comes to Kefel, the owner is selling the actual rights to the Kefel itself because he's able to sell that because it's compensation for having stolen the animal. So since he's able to sell that, the buyer fully acquires it and there's no issue of Dabar Shalobala Olam. The owner is saying to the buyer, you now own the rights of this animal that if it's stolen, the compensation, which includes kefel, belongs to you. So that's why the Gemara says that there is no issue in selling that. As opposed to the knas of the Eved, which as Rab Chaim explained, cannot be sold because it belongs to whoever owns the slave. So there's no way to sell just that right to collect the knas. So since it always has to go through the original owners, even if someone buys the knas, the knas is still going to be paid to the original owners who will then pass it along to the buyer. So that's why there's potentially an issue of Dover Shalobala Olam, because it could be that the buyer is acquiring something which is not present yet. They're not able to acquire that right in the slave. So what they're acquiring is that when the owner collects the knas of the Eved, they're going to give it to them. But that's a Dover Shalobala Olam. So according to the Rambam's reading, the reason why the Gemara and Gitin leaves this issue unresolved is because because the knas of the Eved cannot really be sold. It always goes through the original owners, whereas the Gemara Bab Metziah assumes that this is going to work because the kefel can be sold since it's compensation for the thief having stolen the animal. So that's a financial right, and the owner is able to sell that right, which is present in the world right now, to the buyers. So Rab Chaim's whole distinction in the Rambam, which explains why he differentiates between these two cases in a case of suffering, 
Suffolk. So now we see that this distinction is actually built into the Gemara itself, the way the Rambam interpreted the Gemara. Now, Tosvos obviously disagrees because according to Tosvos, the two cases of selling the Eved's Knas and selling the Kefel are equivalent. The Gemara in Bab Metziah was unclear whether a person can sell the Kefel precisely because the Gemara in Gitin is unclear whether a person can sell the Eved's Knas. So according to Tosvos, these halachas are parallel that if the person is not actually selling the whole Eved or the whole animal, they're only selling the fine, that is a davar shalobala olam. So according to Tosvos, this distinction that Rab Chaim made in the Rambam is not correct. There is no difference that when a person sells the kefel, they are actually selling the right and it's not a davar shalobala olam, as opposed to the Eved's kenas, where they cannot sell the right to that kenas. So it is a davar shalobala olam. According to Tosvos, both cases are parallel. So Tosvos would disagree with the Rambam's distinction in a case of Suffolk. The Rambam said that a Suffolk in the case of Kenas belongs to the first owners and a Suffolk in the case of Kefel is Yachloku. But according to Tosvos, both halachas would have to be parallel in the case of Suffolk. Now in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim suggests another distinction between Kefel versus the Kenas of the Eved. And this is a shorter, simpler distinction. When it comes to the Kefel, so it's clear that the additional fine over and above the value of the object that was stolen is not a replacement for the object itself. So let's say someone steals an animal worth $100. They now have to pay $200. So the first 100, which is called the Karen, is a replacement for the actual animal that they stole. It's a compensation for the actual stolen object. But the extra 100 that the Torah obligates them to pay is a pure fine over and above the value of the object that they stole. So it's something that's totally new to this situation. This owner originally owned an animal that was worth $100. Now they're getting back $200. And the second 100 is something that's totally new to them. As opposed to the kanas of the Eved, even though it too is a fine. But as Rab Chaim mentioned earlier, it's also in place of the compensation for the damages to this person's property that he lost the value of the Eved. So included in the fine is also the value of the Eved, which he originally had. So let's say he had an Eved who was worth 20 shekel. Now he lost him. So now he got the 30 shekel fine back, which is more than his original Eved, but it's also in place of the value that he lost. So the Kanas of the Eved is not something new to this person. He used to have an Eved, and now on some level, this is compensation for what he lost lost that was originally his. So now this also explains the distinction that the Rambam makes between these two halachas in the case of a suffake. When it's a suffake in who the kefel belongs to, so neither of them is a muhsak. neither of them really has precedent that this was their property. Even though the owner owned the object which was stolen, but that only applies to the karen, the actual replacement of the value of this animal. But the over and above that, 
the kefel is totally new to the situation. So the owner never owned that. So we can't say that it's his property that potentially belongs to the buyer. It's a totally new piece of property that we don't know who it belongs to. So it's yachloku, we split it up. But says the Rambam, that only applies to the kefel, which is new in this situation, as opposed to the knas of the evid, which is not new, even if it's over and above the value of the evid, but the basic property was owned by the owner of the evid, who now lost his evid and needs to be compensated. So since this is compensation for his lost property, he is a muhzak. He has the priority because the precedent is that it was his property. And if we're unsure whether the buyer actually acquired it, so it's a suffix, so then he should get it. So that's why it's not yachloku, because since it's a suffix, the owner has the chazaka. He has the precedent that it's his, so it goes to him unless the other person grabs it. So that's why the Rambam rules that in the case of the knas of the eved, ideally it goes to the original owner, as opposed to the kefel, which is split because it has no original owner, really. It's something which is being originated right now, and there's a suffix who it belongs to. So this is a very nice, short and sweet distinction that explains why the Rambam rules differently in the two different cases. And Rab Chaim points out that this distinction will fit even according to the view of Tosfos, that when it comes to Davar Shlobala Olam, the Knas and the Kefel work the same, but even so, Tosfos could agree with this distinction. So this would be a way to fit in the Rambam's distinction in the case of Suffolk, even to the approach of Tosfos. Whereas the first formulation obviously did not work in Tosfos. And as Rab Chaim said, according to that explanation, Tosos would disagree with the Rambam on this practical ruling. So this is Rab Chaim's piece to explain these two opposing rulings in the Rambam. The key conceptual point is this distinction between the Knas of the Eved versus the Kefel. According to Rab Chaim, the Kefel is an actual financial right. It belongs to the owner of the animal, so therefore it can be sold, as opposed to the Knas of the Eved, which is not a normal financial right. It's something which is owed because the animal took a life and it ends up getting paid to the owner of of the Eved, but it's not related to their financial ownership of the Eved, so therefore it cannot be sold. And if it is sold, what that means is that the owners are agreeing to pass along the money once they collect it because the buyer bought that off of them. So that's the distinction between these two cases. Now, two small points worth noting. First, this distinction is quoted by Rab Chaim's main disciple, Rab Baruch Ber, in his Birka Shmuel on Yevamos Simen Yotes. He quotes that he heard this from Rab Chaim, and then he quotes two proofs to it. So it's always interesting to see that going on. In addition, there's another small debate in this piece between Rab Chaim and the Ktsos. Rab Chaim says that if the owner sells the increase in value of the animal, including the kefel, so it's like a package deal, that does not work because there's nothing connecting all the little increases in the package together. Diktsos in Simen Reish Tzadi Hey Sifkan Dalid, so he disagrees with that, and he says that in such a case it would work. The only issue is when the person sold the kefil on its own, not when they sell it as part of a package deal with other increases. And it's also worth noting that the Ktsos in that discussion has a totally different framework to understand these halachas than Rab Chaim, which is to be expected, and he analyzes the issue of selling selling an Eved only for the Knas differently and compares it more closely to selling an animal for the Kefel.